Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, my guest is Tom Daly, who is a fractional chief revenue officer with Sales Acceleration. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Tom, tell us what that means. Um, you know, everybody's heard of the, the fractional CFO, but what's a fractional vice president or, or fractional chief revenue officer? Yeah, so it really sounds like a lot of word salad, doesn't yeah. it? And, uh, yeah. and and we struggle through that all the time. And the question you ask is astute because everybody asks that they're like, okay, I do know what a CFO is, a fractional one. What does a fractional sales leader do? And it just means that really we do one of two things. Either a company really needs to overhaul its sales. It really needs the infrastructure. And so we come in for a few months, three, four months, and we actually build everything from their uh, their value proposition to their buyer's journey to really mapping out what their sales structure, their sales processes, implementing CRM. A lot of times it means hiring the right people, possibly deselecting folks that are not in the right role, um, and then managing that. So that's the infrastructure piece. Once we're all done, we hand it over to the business owner or the manager and say, you're all set. Here you go. Or they'll say, well, what about the management part? <laughs> yeah. say, That's a possibility too, because a lot of co companies have grown to a certain level where they're going to need specific sales management, but they may not be at that level where um, a comp package for a full VP of sales is realistic for their budget, right. but they need it. So that's what we offer. So you get all of the benefit of an experienced sales professional manager at a fraction of the cost. So we do it on a part-time basis. So that's really all it means. Uh, it's just a matter of that, but it's but it's important because a lot of the things that we do, it's not a matter of we write a white paper and here you go, here's everything you ever wanted to know. We actually roll up our sleeves and go in and do it, which uh, that's where it has the value because a lot of folks don't know how to do that. And uh, right. it's rewarding for sure. Now, it, you know, in that instance here where you know somebody comes in or, or you're talking to somebody you're talking to a business owner um and they're like oh well i already have my uh my marketing company doing my marketing for me um mm -hmm. that's that's what brings me my sales mm -hmm. talk yeah. about that because that's not really true it's not and a lot of people are saying oh you're sales great so you do all the marketing then right so right, sales right. and marketing uh, i guess they're on the same bicycle but in fact, uh, the two, when they're well run, they both coordinate, but they do wildly different things. And most of us in my role, we did our time in corporate America, right? right? For me, it was about 20 years, where very often we had the marketing department and we had the sales team and they're incredibly siloed. Marketing's making all this great creative stuff. Salespeople don't think it's the adequate stuff. They're mad because marketing's like they don't follow up on all the messaging, et cetera. So there's a real um, siloed, non-working relationship. And honestly, in a small to medium-sized business, that's a luxury they can't afford. So the right. two have to be coordinated. So we say, uh, I, I know good or bad marketing when I see it as a sales professional, but I don't develop it. 
So typically that messaging, all of the, the really compelling ways and platforms that you can do, I'm not a programmer, I don't do that, but I know how it works. That said, what we do want to do is collaborate so that those marketing qualified leads are coming from the right messaging that's appealing to the right target audience. And that's huge because too, yeah. all too often kind of tells me when I was a young kid, right? Anybody with money was a prospect. I'll talk them out of that money. Right. Gosh darn it, right? But in reality, when we're effective as a company, whether we're small or even large, we have niched down to find that client that we absolutely can delight and help them on their journey of success. And when we do that, we develop our messaging, whether marketing or sales language, to not tell them, but to ask them, what are you struggling with? What would you like your end state to look like? What difficulties have you encountered in the past? What would you like tomorrow to look like? Before I even tell you about how wonderful I am, I need to find out if you really have a need, if you're feeling the pain at an acute enough level that I can help, or you're really that frustrated and you want to make a change. But I have to also understand, are you willing to make that change? It sounds like, yes, I'm willing to change my way. But we've all been entrepreneurs. We're pretty set in our ways. We're type A's, right? We, we all, we read the book E-Myth and yet we lived it too. Right. So a lot of times it's that a matter of saying, are you ready to go there? Because we're going to do some things differently, but it'll achieve the success you need. So really marketing and sales, the marketing is creating the whiz bang way of making the messaging that the salespeople are trying to resonate. And when those two fold together, it's great. So I do sales. I don't do marketing, but what we do end up doing with is usually coordinating very closely with whatever marketing arm, either their internal folks or whatever firm that they've hired on. I think that something that's that's important with that is that you talk about is you talk about the marketing side, but if you have that sales piece that comes in, you know, you may have that great message coming from marketing, but if the salespeople kind of aren't saying the same message and fulfilling that message or the other way around then you know you're you're conflicting against yourself and you're going to confuse you know the the customer or client yeah you're spot on there and that happens a lot and if you can sort of break that cycle success happens and you bring that up because the other piece of marketing is was it effective right did right. i get the money out of what i spent and you hear these all the time we tried some advertising we did this we didn't get anything out of it we just wasted our money and that's usually short-sightedness. That's the fault more of the marketing firm that didn't really explain expectations properly than really the buyer. And so that's really, really important. And you mentioned something, data and analysis. And so the other side, like CRM, customer relationship management uh, platforms, very affordable now, very robust in their capability. Right. Being able to see if that messaging is actually resonating with our target client. If we get a bunch of crickets, that's actually a good thing. We know that that doesn't work and we're not going to go down that path again. And with marketing and sales working together, let's say, well, that messaging just doesn't resonate. We need to find a better way to convey the value or uncover those pain points. And so you try something differently. And so between CRM measuring those engagements from the salespeople and the marketing people engaging it through MailChimp or whatever platforms they use to grab those analytics, if we get this in real time, we can see, yeah, that's working. No, that's not working. This seems to be getting a whole lot of traction. Let's do more of it. That's critical because that's about the only way I know of to really be able to calculate an accurate ROI. No other way. Right. Now, lots of times people are going to think that that you would come in if somebody's trying to, to generate sales. 
which is true. But what about that that company that is just it's growing too fast? Do they kind of still bring you in to help, you know, I guess, streamline some of it, but then also, you know, manage it better? Yeah, 100%. So um, even though, obviously, we've got really robust tools now, and everybody's talking about AI and how that's changing right. the world, we have all these tools, and that's true. So we've got really a little bit more refined tools, but it's so funny. It really hasn't changed from when I was a kid, probably on back to Napoleon Hill, right? It's still people and process. And so if a company is growing ultra fast and they're outstripping their ability to deliver, then there's something going on. Either their processes are not fully there to accommodate that growth on the operational side, or there may be, we need to rethink the process from the sales side to the timing of the operation. So there may be a disconnect. Oftentimes, again, just like marketing and sales may be siloed in large companies, sometimes operations and sales can be very siloed. Again, that is not an affordable luxury within a small right. company. It has to be there. So sometimes when growth's happening too fast, it could be that the salespeople are selling the wrong product or to the wrong client because there's more to that analysis, right? We need to figure out what's the ROI in each one of those sales, right. which is more profitable than the other. So we need to do that analysis to find out what the overall, what is best for the overall well-being of the company. And sales has a plan to do it. They, they don't just get to sell whatever they want. Well, a lot of salespeople think they do, but right. <laughs> in reality, they have to follow the mission of the company. Otherwise, things get haywire and all of a sudden, you know, you sold a bunch of stuff, but you're in danger of bankruptcy. So you want to look at that continually. So you're continually evaluating your people and your processes. So whether you're not growing fast enough or you're growing too fast, my suspicion is there's more under the covers that we need to dig into to decide what the best pathway forward is. Uh, no two, No two companies that I've ever met are the same. It's always right. I, I think so many times people when they look at it, especially small business, because, you know, lots of times when you first start out, you're the salesperson, you're the marketing person, you're the operations, you're you're all of it. And then um, then you decide, OK, hey, I need to bring in help. Um, do you work with companies kind of at that stage when it's still kind of a one man show to try to help them build from there? Yeah, for sure. So we, we see that a lot. And so we we all live there. The ones that started businesses like I did, we did that. We were the plumber, the salesperson, the operation. Right. We did it all, right? And we actually kind of provide, we prided ourselves on that. Look how ambidextrous I am. Look how much I can do. So it is a point of pride for type A personalities. The problem is with growth, you become less talented at each one of those things because you're running out of capacity. Yep. So a lot of times it is going to be that conversation where the entrepreneur now has to rise up into the visionary seat where they're always going to work with big relationships, but they're the ones that have to curate new ideas for the company to run on in the future. So they have to stop doing what EOS calls letting go of the vine so that they have to let go of that and allow other people that are probably going to develop to be better than they ever were in those single areas but they have to let it happen. And that's usually when, when, when the entrepreneur is able to let go of the vine, work on things that they're probably the most awesome at, better than anybody else in the company. When they're doing that and there's a collective trust, and I'm not saying we always we don't make mistakes, but we're transparent. We talk about what's happening. We could talk about what's great and what's not working. And when we do that synthesis, the visionary starts to develop that confidence that the, the company will be far better if I'm in a leadership role versus a doer at all. But that's hard for an entrepreneur because they're good at doing. 
Right. But after a while, it becomes frustrated. And, you know, it's a bigger case. Maybe your family's going, why are you not home on weekends, right? You can't take a vacation because, you know, they can't afford to lose you. That's really stinking thinking, right? Because you work in order to create freedom and happiness for the other things that you do in your life, not the other way around. So it can be a difficult conversation, but for the folks that start to get it, very substantive because it could be the difference between them really achieving uh, career happiness and really just doing the same thing they've ever done, which I would say that the vast majority of companies do. And that's, that's tough, very tough. No, I mean, you work across many different industries, you know, um, with this. And uh, I'm assuming a lot of the principles are going to be the same no matter what industry it is. Yes, everything's got its its little nuances. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of what some of those basic principles are? Yeah, that's a great uh, thing. We I, I do work with a lot of folks. My background was primarily in telecom um, uh, technology and business services. But for whatever reason, because we're in Florida, I work with a lot of builders, uh, other technology companies. And they are similar in where they are in the stages. Now they would say, oh, my industry is so unique, right? And we all feel that way to a degree, but in essence, it's not too terribly dissimilar. Um, you still have that success-mindedness. You still have the frustration, the scalability. But I always come back to who is it you're serving? What is your, you know, people talk about mission statements and you have this nifty thing that was written by somebody for a lot of money sitting on the wall but it doesn't really reflect who you are or what you do. You should be able to say, you know what I do? We are a niche organization that helps this type of organization only in that area. That's what we do. And you know what we really do? We give them freedom. We give them the ability to pivot and be better at themselves. And we've done that for a number of years. And that's why we stay in our lane. We want to be specialists. Could be any industry, right? But you're talking about this is what you do. This is why you're successful. And this is how you help other people. In fact, that outward facing philosophy for any growing company is more healthy than inward facing. And yet, you know, we're all a little bit narcissistic, right? We're always thinking about us, how we can improve what my thing is. I was born in a log cabin, all these wonderful things I've done. It is good and it's a great pr proof source, but your value comes from finding out what other people need. And when you say, Eureka, I found somebody I can help. That's the basis for a long-term sales engagement, hopefully a, a relationship as well. It's different, totally different, but but similar across industries. What, I mean, what are some of the big mistakes with, that you see people making when it comes to the sales side of things in the smaller organizations? Yeah, there's a lot. So um, first of all, not having a forecast. And with that, the corollary to that is not having a budget and therefore setting quotas. Everybody's saying, really? I'm saying, yeah, the vast majority of companies do not set um, high-level goals. So quotas, number of units sold, whatever it is that you measure your folks on, that's a lagging indicator. Mm -hmm. But also they're not measuring weekly uh, leading indicators. How many outreaches? How many LinkedIn connections? Uh, how many uh, client meetings or prospect meetings did you have? Those type of things you're reviewing on a monthly basis. I would say the mistake is, Twofold. Number one, not doing the forecast, not setting the KPIs, and not having weekly, weekly uh, meetings where you're actually going over that, holding people accountable to those numbers. Because if you don't, it screams loud that the company really doesn't care about that. And, and that's difficult. So that's a huge mistake. The other mistake is, uh, well, two mistakes they have to do with personnel, hiring the wrong people. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of times you they're saying you know sales. It's such a personality based profession. Not true. It's a mechanics process oriented. Now, if you have a pleasant personality, that doesn't hurt you at all. And there's ways to improve that. I can coach you on that. But that in and of itself is not a good good method. And a lot of times we do that. Oh, he seems like a salesperson or she seems like the greatest salesperson I've ever met. Let's bring him on board without doing the real uh, situational interviewing, um, background, uh, behavioral trait type of assessments. Those things really, really help. And then the third mistake that I've seen every company do it, and I'm here to tell you, I've done it multiple times, taking your best sales rep and crowning them king as sales manager. More often than not, that's a disaster because you don't get the management you need and you ruin your best salesperson and it happens a lot. So there are lots of other mistakes, but I would say those are the ones that can be the most deadly. Now you said, uh, you know, uh, setting high level goals, things like that. But then you said about having uh, the the weekly meetings and you talked about, you know, setting the the number of basically number of calls that people have and visits and things like that. Why are you going over that on a weekly basis? So that is the key to, and again, you can use the EOS again. I work with the uh, EOS implementers quite a bit because it creates discipline. So that cadence, so it works on a quarterly basis. So you reset the entire company every quarter. And that's great. So about 90 days is about all the, the the American mind and persona can really tolerate. So that reset is very helpful. And you fix all the things that didn't work. You keep doing the things that did work. And then inside of that, you meet every single week to go over um, uh, the metrics, so your scorecard. But you're also going over issues. Why, if you're missing your appointments consistently, what's going on with that? Are you having trouble closing for an appointment? Are you talking to the wrong people? Are you targeting the wrong folks? So we're going to deal with that. We're going to come up with some hard and fast solutions inside of that meeting so that it's substantive. You're going to be on the hot seat, but at the same time, we're wanting to fix what's broken for you. And a lot of companies never do that. And so that's why it's a big deal. So week in, week out, you know you're going to do it. You have to enter in your metrics. And the good news is it's not really hard for salespeople because assuming they're using a CRM, they are going to use a CRM. Right. Most of those metrics, you have the ability to enter those in there or calculate them. It automatically does it. So it's not like a heavy lift for the salesperson, but they're answerable for those. And because they're running that business, they should be just like any other person in the company. Yeah. I, you know, I've helped some people with this in the past, past lives. Um, and and we did, we had the 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 weekly sales meeting and it was more because we took and built our our budget and everything and worked backwards. And at that point, we knew you know what our, our average uh, uh, income per job was, and then okay, how many you know what our close rate was, so forth and so on. So we could figure out okay, if we don't do you know whatever it was, eight estimates a week, we weren't going to hit our number. So and that sounds like that ties right back into you know what you're talking about and why you have those meetings. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. So that's where I started with the forecast. So the first thing I do is a lot of times it's not there. So we're going to look at the historical data. Really strange to do right now because some industries looking back three years were right fat or right uh, in the middle of the pandemic. So some of the, the numbers have to be nuanced a little bit. 
But generally speaking, it's at least a starting point. So we know where we want to be, like you said. So here's our revenue, here's our gross profit, here's our net profit. Now, what's it going to take realistically to accomplish that? And so we bake into the number of people what their quota would be. And then because based on the company's intel, that's what we have to go on, we believe it takes um, four meetings for a proposal. We believe it takes three proposals for a sale. We believe it takes 25 outreaches to get, an, uh, get a meeting. So yeah, we, we kind of use that science to develop those metrics going forward so that we know that they're accurate, at least we believe they are. And so measuring that in the same way for everybody, assuming they're on the same plane, um, is is great. I mean, it just absolutely is. It's those standards by which we can measure everybody. And more importantly, as a salesperson, we're not trying to catch people doing things wrong. We're trying to find blind spots that we can help them with. So it's more important for the sales manager to say, do I need to ride with them more? Is it time for a training session? Are they having a really hard time? Like they can talk to me, but are they having a, a difficult time articulating what's in their brain? They just can't get it out of their mouth. Do I need to go do a presentation for them? It's whatever, but it's really for the sales manager to figure out, you know, I'm on the hook for all these numbers. <laughs> you know, these people are responsible, right. but I got the big number. So I have to be the servant, giving them all the tools they need in order to be successful. So it's not a matter of trying to catch people doing things wrong. On the contrary, it's trying to identify those things that are really going to move the ball for us. Now, you just said in there about the, the sales manager or, or whoever you know, doing training with their sales staff and stuff like that. How often do you uh, feel that somebody should be doing training with their sales staff? So I, the, the short answer is regularly. So at least some small component of training I try to do in every meeting, even if it's 15 minutes. Let's just talk about something I saw on LinkedIn the other day that I thought was really compelling. I just want to get your guys' take on it, right? Something like that. Or, oh, I just spun up this this presentation, and I kind of like my own work here. I want to do this really quick and see if it's resonating with you guys. So something small like that. But then, of course, if we've got like a new product or a new partner or some something that's really pretty robust, <clears throat> I really do like to dedicate at least two hours if it requires more, two and then two and then two, because putting salespeople in a chair for eight hours. Yeah. It really difficult. You're not going to get your value out of it. So get them in there. You got to feed them, right? They right. Know for food. And so you do all that just to make sure that you get that knowledge transfer. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. If you try to, I want to check the box off. I'm going to sit them all down for eight hours and then I'm done. Generally, it's not that, that easy. You got to be more thoughtful in my experience. Now, when you, you come into a company, you do this. Obviously, you don't just walk away and leave them alone. Um, you kind of follow back up with them. Do do you um, help them do any type of like market analysis or things like that um, for their industry? Or how do you guys handle that piece of it? Yeah, and I'm asking I can... this and I'm asking this more because, OK, we dealt with COVID and people were saying, oh, that changed everything. And then now, you know, now I hear people still saying that, oh, you know, you still have that COVID hangover or whatever. But I mean, I'm seeing, yes, not as many people in the office, but you're still able to get in touch with people. Yeah. And and again, this is a place where um, AI and a lot of other research groups and a lot of a lot of freebies out there, like uh, it's funny, our, our our collective buddy, Adrian, right? And her past right. core SBDC. I mean, there are resources out there that are 
inexpensive and those guys have access to some pretty expensive databases. And so you can get a lot of information from them, whether it's IBIS World or BizMiner, you can get those kind of trends to see, you know, what's changed in, in construction. Well, everything, right? right. And so you can get those tidbits so that you know what you're supposed to do. So I can do some of that. And then the local, um, I, I'm pretty good at doing like the local top level market, you know, like competitive analysis. Mm -hmm. But honestly speaking, if we bring in a marketing entity, they already have them. Hopefully, they'll have access to some of that stuff. If they don't, we get creative and bug on the the next agent, right? Right, so, right. Need some help here, and and you can get that sort of stuff free. Or your local chambers. There's a lot of that data out there. So uh, I'm always I'm always a big fan of freebies. So if oh, I yeah. can that and then sort of synthesize it into what I'm doing, generally it works. Right, right. All right, Tom, we've covered a lot of stuff in a quick, period, quick period of time here. <laughs> um, I could go on for a long time because I find the, the you know, the sales side of things, um, you know, to me, that's kind of, for me, that's kind of closing the loop based on my, on my process. So I find it, you know, very interesting and, and um, seem to find that that's kind of where I have a lot of my pitfalls. So um <laughs> What question have I not asked that you wish I had? You know, just in general, one of the things that we do at Sales Acceleration is each year we uh, uh, we put together a state of sales, right? And where that's driven is we do sales assessments. It's part of my selling tool. I do a, a large, uh, it's probably 50 questions that a prospect goes through and it takes them through everything. It's actually an investment on their time, on their, of their time in the process, but it reveals so much about what's working, what's not working, but also what should we prioritize first? Because you'd love to do it all. That's impossible. It's just overwhelming. So you decide which ones are going to have the, the greatest impact early on. And the thing that most people don't know, and again, it's a little bit of a review, is the three big things are hiring. Hiring is a disaster. And people talk about it all the time, like, there are no good people out there. Well, it's harder, but you have to be more thoughtful in how you're trying to approach them. So that's a part of it. Sales analysis, very few people, they'll say either I made my number or I didn't make my number. Let's rinse and repeat next year. So a deeper analysis to what you're doing, why, how are the margins changing? How are the client behaviors changing? Because if you aren't thinking about that, then the competitors will. So you've got to be doing it. So it's those things. And then finally, process. And everybody believes process. We talked about it before. Process is good for everything. Building a car, cleaning your house, somehow sales. Well, it's just about making a bunch of phone calls, right? And it's like, no, <laughs> it's the same thing. It has a process. It has an objective, has a set of tactics, and then it's got an analysis. So it's all of those three things. And the the the, the real catch is it's about 89 to 90% of businesses that we um, actually give this assessment to, mm -hmm. they are in a deficit column, 89 to 90%. Yeah, yeah that certainly is. So, Tom, if people like what they hear and they want to reach out to you, uh, pick your brain, you know, hire you, um, get to know you. I mean, you have a blog uh, that you have out there. So, you know, how can people get in touch with you or, or learn more about what you do? Yeah, thanks. Because, you know, for me, it's all about conversations. I probably in the course of a month, I have 100 conversations easily but I can only serve maybe three, four clients at a time. So right. a lot of my time is just giving insights out there, seeing who I can connect with, because eventually, hopefully it's something that they may have a need for or somebody they know might have a need. So to reach out to me, it really LinkedIn is my, it's my home. I love LinkedIn. Right. By the way, I'm user number 4796 showing my age, right? 
Uh, so I've been out there forever. So Tom Daly on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people. I love growing my network, et cetera. Or just go to my website, which is my personal company. My LLC is Focus Insights Group. All that big word, focusinsightsgroup.com. Uh, either way, just reach out to me any other way. And I love having cool conversations and talking to smart people. It's fun. Great. I really appreciate your time today. I, I know our listeners got a lot from this um, and, and lo looking forward to talking to you in the future. Yeah, me too. Gary, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Great. Hey, this week, our guest was Tom Daly, who is a fractional chief revenue officer with Sales Acceleration. Thank you. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.